This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 608 This episode was pre-recorded. Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Let's all take our seats. It's Crisis 313, Our Worlds at War. This is how I got my wife to read comics. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. We're taping this in advance as we explore the history of DC's crossover events. In 2001, DC went big, as in the Big Bang, with a huge event called Our Worlds at War, spanning a total of 41 issues, including tie-ins. This JLA-centric story involved a new villain named Imperiax, who is the embodiment of entropy. He can reset the universe, which he has apparently done multiple times, and essentially is a Galactus knockoff. He was introduced in Superman 153 the year before as a setup to this event. The main story takes place in a series of one-shots broken out into three arcs, Prelude to War, All Out War, and Casualties of War. Prelude to War, Green Lantern, Our Worlds at War Number 1, writer Judd Winnick, pencils Dale Eaglesham, inks Rodney Ramos and Rob Lee, colors Mood Bauman, Letters, Chris Eliopoulos. Assistant Editor, Nachi Castro. Editor, Bob Shrek. Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern at this time, is getting out of the shower and gets a call. He's asked to check out Pluto. Actually, Pluto isn't there anymore. After some noodling with Jennifer Lynn Hayden, a.k.a. Jade, they were a couple then, he does some creative ring-slinging to create a temporary Pluto out of the asteroid belt. As he finishes the task, Sinestro comes by, which is a surprise because he's supposed to be dead. They do get out, and Sinestro seems to be winning before Kyle rallies. Superman appears and tells Kyle to stand down. He's on our side. Instead, Kyle ramps up the power, only to see Guardian of the Universe Ganthet tell him to stop. He spouts a bunch of warnings about the upcoming conflict and that Kyle is about to experience a great change. Cut to Imperiax, noting that Pluto is still there, just hidden, like he is. He wants to keep the element of surprise. He returns to Earth and talks it out with Jen. His powers have expanded as he demonstrates by reading a book still on the shelf. He also whips up multiple versions of himself. Jen tells him he's just becoming more experienced with his powers, but Kyle isn't so sure. Batman, Our Worlds at War, number one. Writer Ed Brubaker, stardust Stefano Gardino, colors Roberta Tews, separations Wildstorm FX, letters Willie Schubert, and editor Michael Wright. In Gotham, two construction workers are arguing who is more powerful, Bruce Wayne or Lex Luthor. 
Did I mention the latter is the current president of the United States? Anyways, they are interrupted by a huge explosion which leads us to the bat signal and a discussion between bats and new commissioner Aikens. The feds have taken over the investigation, which doesn't make much sense, unless something else is going on. Bruce learns that GC Fire Department was called on false alarms elsewhere at the time of the explosion and that a NASA scientist and an Army general are involved. He sneaks onto the site and finds a team going over an alien ship. The next day, Lex is in town and gives a speech about the need for U.S. to be ready for any eventualities. At the same event, Bruce drugs the NASA scientist and gets some info. Later, he goes to the explosion site disguised as an FBI agent, only to see them extract an alien from the ship and hand it to Lex. There's a reference to the Metropolis Project. Bruce then breaks into the general's office and copies off the hard drive, asking Oracle to crack the encryption. She does so, and then it deletes itself, only giving Bruce a location. It's off to Metropolis, where Bruce sees Talia Agul coming out of the mysterious location. She leaves a security badge, and Bruce uses it to get in. Turns out to be a metahuman lab, and he sees a reference to a doomsday contingency. The next day, the caped crusader visits Lex at the White House, demanding to know what he's hiding, or he'll blow the lid on the Metropolis project. Of course, Lex has his bases covered. The next day, Bruce goes to the Daily Planet, he just bought the place, and asks Clark about the doomsday contingency. Young Justice, our world's at war number one. Writer Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, pencilers Todd Nauck, inkers Ray Snyder, Terry Austin, Randy Emberlin, Jamie Mendoza, Walden Wong, and John Stokes, letters John E. Workman Jr., Colorist Tom McGraw, Separations Digital Comedian, Assistant Editor Tom Palmer Jr., and Editor Eddie Berganza. Young Justice Roll Call, Superboy Connor Kent, Robin Tim Drake, Wonder Girl Cassie Sandsmark, Impulse, Secret, Empress, and Lobo, who's currently a teen. They are just cleaning up after a mission when a member of the Linear Men puts them in a time stasis, announcing that they should consider yourselves drafted. There's a renegade AI that's screwing up the timeline, and Young Justice is the only team they could track down to help. They are sent to the point in time where the AI should be at its weakest. Robin is given a temporal compass, and they are on their way. Unfortunately, Lobo grabs the compass and resets the destination, a field in Mexico, 1500 AD. Natives and conquistadors are running for their lives from Aztec warriors on jet bikes? The heroes are quickly subdued and restrained by high-tech bonds. It appears they're about to be sacrificed, based on orders by what appears to be Imperiex in Aztec garb. Secret breaks them out, and the battle is on. It doesn't take long to beat the bad guys, including the Aztec Imperiex robot. Superboy hits the button on the compass, and they arrive in Russia, 2500 A.D., there's huge robots walking around, and inside they find hundreds of red tornadoes, along with Brainiac 13. Brainy is talking about their battle to memory wipe the great disruptor, and the teens assume he's the one they were sent to stop. Brainy deploys legions of Amazos, Metal Men, and Cyborgs to fight an army of Imperiax probes with Young Justice in the middle. Bart grabs the compass 
and they see Dick and Barbara in a car drive by in the time stream. Their next stop is the JLA Watchtower 2020 AD. There, they see a video of a massive battle, including them as adults, which results in Earth being transformed into a black hole, which is now just outside. Wonder Girl hits the compass, and now they're in a spaceship in 3004 AD, only to find the Fatal Five, along with Monel, now wearing a Superman suit. He explains that the Legion of Superheroes has teamed up with their enemies to fight a bigger threat, Imperiax. Brainiac 5 reports in. There are battles underway in 97 locations, all being coordinated. Brainiac 13 is interfaced in as well. Robin decides they need to stick to the main mission, which may make all these timelines go away. The compass takes them to an undefined point in history where they see the universe under Brainiac 13's control. Wave Rider chides them for delaying things with all the side trips. This is where they need to be. But Robin implies that those side trips made it clear Imperiax is the real threat. Wave Rider explains how Brainiac 13 took over the universe and why he's now vulnerable. Wonder Girl notes that what they've seen is just a possible future, and Superboy says the linear men may have their own agenda. Wave Rider warps out, noting that Imperiax probes have found them. The team fights Imperiax while Robin gets Brainiac 13 to help. Imperiax and Brainiac 13 duke it out, and Young Justice uses the compass to go back to their own time. Did they just save the universe? All Out War. JLA, Our Worlds at War, number one. Writer Jeff Loeb. Pencils, Ron Carney. Inks, Mark Morales. Colors, Tanya and Rich Horry. Letters, Richard Starkings. Assistant editor, Tom Palmer Jr. And editor, Eddie Berganza. The entire issue compares the successful attack on Earth to Pearl Harbor, using a prolonged quote from FDR. Martian Manhunter, who's taken out in the first panel, Flash, GL, Plastic Man, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman are in space fighting Imperiex's forces. Collectively, they get their butts kicked. Batman's too busy fighting the aliens in Gotham City to help, but Superman flies in from the Kent farm to the main battle, having just heard that Topeka has been leveled by an explosion. Diana cracks open Imperiex's armor, which causes a huge explosion, taking out many of the heroes. Maxima and Firestar take them to a medical ship. Arthur gets word that Atlantis is under attack, and he flies off. So when did Aquaman have the ability to fly around and in space? In Washington, President Luthor and his military staff are debating what to do. We learn that Imperiex is attacking seven major points on Earth with plans to tear the planet apart. Lex calls out all the heroes for a major offensive. We see Guy Gardner in his alien weapon period, skewered by an Imperiex drone as blue and gold look on. Cut to Frankfurt, Germany with Zod and Ignition, Zaire, Africa with the Titans, the South Pole with the Outsiders, all losing badly to the drones. Lois meets Clark on the medical ship, then runs off to help Aquaman in Atlantis, only to find him apparently dead. Superman, incensed, uses his heat vision to do the part the Red Sea bit, screaming, If you want war, I'll give you war! Nightwing, our world's at war number one. Writer Chuck Dixon, pencils Rick Leonardi, inks John Lowe, colors Noel Giddings, separations Digital Chameleon, letters Willie Schubert, and editor Michael Wright. Dick is in Gotham having gotten a distress call from Barbara. 
He arrives to find two mercenaries looking for her, and Dick dispatches them. He then sees video screens with Babs killed in a dozen ways. Fortunately, it's just the computer virus that is showing possible futures. Babs is in her van. She and Dick go to Star Labs, where they happen to have a time machine. She plans to go back and stop herself from being killed, and Dick joins her for the ride. They wind up in the 40s, where gangsters were paid off to meet and kill her. Turns out, having Dick go along is throwing off Imperiex's plans. They swipe the gangster's car and find the time machine, going back to a point before there was life on Earth. So they should be safe, right? Nope. An aerial bombardment begins. Another jump to an ice age, only to find cavemen attacking them. They got a message via cave drawings. Dick is captured, but Babs generates a holographic dragon to scare the cavemen away. Yet another jump, this time to a near future where Bloodhaven is destroyed. Jets attack, and we see Young Justice flung past them, a callback to that Young Justice issue. There's a splash page of a dozen jumps every time with the pair under attack. Finally, they land in an undefined time, and they camp out. There's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo about temporal trackers and time paradoxes. This site is known to be nowhere near habitation, so they get a chance to rest, at least until an Indian and Frenchman attack and kill them. Nope, just a hologram. Now Imperiax thinks they are dead and stops the attack. Their car flies out of the time machine back at Star Labs before they originally arrived. Meanwhile, another version of the pair watched the whole thing from above. Meanwhile, Imperiax has determined that this adventure has thrown Oracle off the track to finding the virus, so he moves on to the JLA. Will Imperiax triumph? It seems unlikely. But find out in our next Crisis episode. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at SFPodNetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.